Welcome to the It's a Dry Heat Comedy Podcast. I'm here. It's me, Jenna Cordes. And luckily, this weekend, we have... Megan McGowan. In town, in the mitten. And if the pre-show has been any indication, you guys are in for a real treat. Because today's guest is none other than my dad. Mark Cordes. Thanks for being Whoa, here in our living room, Dad. I know. You're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do have a live studio audience today as well. Um, it's my family and <laughs> friends. And uh, alone. Thank and God she's here. I know. You're all the way in the mitten. Oh, it's been great. I've never been to Michigan. I've been loving it. I'm in what part of my hand am I in? Like the lower <laughs> left? You're holding it the wrong direction, oh, but you're in the like thumbish. Oh, I'm in the thumb. No, 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 no. In the crux. I'm in the crux of my thumb. Yeah. Bottom of the thumb, little to the left. There you go. Got there it. you go. Got it. No one can see this, but I, I found where I am. So Good. we started off our pre-talk a little bit today uh, just discussing uh, my dad's current profession, and there have been many, but what is it that you currently do? Currently, I do uh, concealed pistol license classes and also self-defense martial arts classes. And Megan had some questions about that. I don't know. Just let me start off. That sounds like so BA. Like, that just sounds so cool. Um, I have recently in the last month had two incidents where I felt like I really wanted a weapon on me. But I know that sounds really weird because I've always been kind of an advocate for like, ah, no, you don't really need it. Like, when am I ever going to need to protect myself? I'm a safe person. I'm just a nice girl. I don't cause any drama. But I feel like crazy is starting to follow me. So my first instance was with a woman at a dog park where she started yelling about my dog and to the point where she was saying like, you know, you know, using some curse words, she's like, you know, I'm going to beat the shit out of your dog. And I didn't have any power in that moment. It was like her and like three large men and like me and like small dogs. What was I going to do, Mark? (laughs) Well, the power that you had in the moment was to leave. Which is what you did, yeah. and not engage verbally or elsewhere, and that allowed your your pride or your emotions to get into the situation. You uh, see quite a lot of cases about that, right, Dad? I do. Pride involvement. Yes, emotion, pride, and anger are what gets people in trouble. So, um, I tend to tell people I have an acronym AA, and it stands for Agree and Apologize, mm-hmm. and that means no matter what. Really? Uh, because it really doesn't matter if you quote unquote win the moment. What you really want to do is uh, not engage, and so and uh, don't die. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Sun Tzu in the Art of War said the true victor in any battle was the person who could make it not happen, mm-hmm. and he was an expert on combat and tactics and strategy. So, I think if people kept that in mind a little bit more, um, they could mm-hmm. uh, they could be safer. So, how did you yourself get into this? I got into it. Uh, I was one of those people who was raised in a non-gun family, but ironically by a militaristic father figure, the great Santini, I call him. Square meals, yes ma'am, no sir, bouncing quarters off the mattress, and you're responsible for everything. So I just want to be clear, um, because I still have jokes about this bouncing the quarter (laughs) off the mattress thing. My dad had to make his bed so tightly that a quarter would bounce off of it or he had to do it again. Wow. But still no gun family. So just very strict, very, you know, everything was done particularly. Right. My father figure was a a World War II veteran, navigator for General McHale. Very proud of that. Lots of pictures, lots of medals. We watched combat every night at 7.30, every night. And we watched war movies all weekend. However, 
firearms did not have a place in civilian society. They were for the military and the police only. So my exposure to firearms was zero. Mm. Um, you put up your dukes, you knock his block off, uh, and you don't come home till you do. So uh, when I was 18, I ran into a situation. Well, prior to that, a friend of mine I worked with invited me to a karate school. Uh, I told them I didn't need that because I wrestled, I knew how to box, and I played football, and I could handle myself. And he said, what would you do if you ran into a situation where there's two or more big guys? And, you know, what did you do then? And I said, I don't know, but, you know, that's not going to happen to me. And I gave all the traditional reasons. I don't hang around bad people. I don't go to bad places. I've never had any experience like that, so I'm not likely to. Approximately two weeks later, I walked into a gang and almost was beaten to death. I was, uh, would have been had I not broken a hole that was uh, full Nelson in my jacket and run into the street and jumped into a moving car. Um, I got to a, a place away from there when the guy made me get out of the car, and I called 911, and eventually uh, they sent a police car. The police drove me part of the way to the hospital and then stopped and told me I had to get out because they had a run and I couldn't be in the car. And they dropped me at an even more dangerous area. Eventually, I got home. Uh, I got my mom took me to the hospital. I had a couple surgeries, and I had months of rehab. And after that, I realized that I couldn't handle a situation with two or more guys bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. So that got me into the martial arts. And then I had my first gun incident, uh, put your face on the ground, blah, blah, blah. And that's what got me into guns. Long story short. Sorry. That was, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, scary, but interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I thought that martial arts was going to be the answer, but then I realized when somebody has 15 feet on you or 12 feet on you and a gun, uh, there's not much you can do in terms of physical management techniques. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I sought out a friend of mine who was a traditional um, male bravado guy, goatee, talks louder than he needs to, slams doors, et cetera, et cetera. And he had a lot of guns. Mm. So I figured, who better to go to than him? So we went on a Friday night to a range, and he oriented me to shooting all different types of guns. And that became a habit. We went to the range every Friday night for months. And one day when leaving the range, I saw a sign that said, become a firearms instructor weekend workshop. So I attended the workshop, I became an instructor, I started teaching, I liked it, and then 10 years later I took a workshop to become an instructor's instructor, and I like that too. And what I really like about the field is that it involves a lot more than firearms training. Probably the training and shooting is the least of what it involves. It involves a lot of people's belief systems and, and psychology and personal interaction techniques that can help people handle situations better so that they actually don't have to fight or use a gun. They actually teach us some of those in teaching because they're always like de-escalate the situation because a lot of discipline problems are because, especially at the high school level, is because you have a power struggle. It's like, I don't want to do something and you want me to do something. Mm -hmm. So it's like learning to de-escalate a situation. Mm-hmm. I guess the one thing I've also learned is I have no idea what my gun laws are. So that's been interesting in the last, like, hour. I've learned a lot. Where I, I thought, actually, what I could do in the situation, even though I did walk away and I was calm with the woman in the dog park, I could have also just been like, you know, you kick my dog, I kick you with my weapon. <laughs> I have heard a little bit about this, so I told her that you can't, you can't use your weapon for intimidation unless... You feel like you're personally in danger. It, like a threatening motion has been made towards you. Mm. So she kicks my dog. I can no. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, one of the uh, one of the legal terms, uh, honest and reasonable belief that you're in danger, you know, and that needs to be supported generally with some kind of empirical evidence, some kind of action that a person actually intends to inflict harm on you. Mm. Um, if you don't have that, and it's just simply what someone says. You, you really cannot uh, uh, display a firearm or, or hit them or do anything. Um, and, of course, displaying a firearm can be criminal as well. Um, display for intimidation, gun out of a holster, reckless use of, reckless handling, a, a number of different brandishing charges. And, and we even used to have passive brandishing in Michigan where if somebody saw the print of your gun, they could claim uh, wow. that you threatened them and get into tort law and intention infliction of distress what? and all kinds of other what things. Is print, what is the print of your gun? I don't understand. Printing means that you have it concealed, but somebody can see the outline of it on your clothes. Or if you had oh, a sh- so if I like had like like a shoulder gun or something, and then I was like, oh yeah, and mm-hmm. I showed them that I threw my clothes. Correct. Okay, I get it. Huh. But since Michigan is an open carry state now, uh, there really aren't any grounds for passive brandishing charges because if you're legally carrying a gun, you can carry it however you want with a license. Hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that um, we were just talking about is that Nevada has some interesting laws that you can actually open carry. So Michigan too, right? Yep. Oh, so they mm-hmm. both do. Mm-hmm. But California, which is where Jenna's about to move, has no none of that. You can't do anything. <laughs> uh, you can't get a permit to carry a gun in California. They are issued by the local sheriff um, at their discretion, but in general, the public can't really apply for one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have also some assault type weapon bans, ARs, AKs. Um, they have magazine capacity restrictions, mm. whereas here we don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. You pretty much can own whatever you want here. Mm. What are you going to do visiting Jenna? Because you actually carry quite a few on you at one well, time, would you say? How many do you carry at one time? Uh, usually two. Two? Many, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know about California. That's a strange question because we're going from Nevada, which is a sort of a whatever state as far as guns go yeah. well, what? going to yeah and going to a uh, a state that's very repressive mm. probably one of the worst and as you can see it's working really well for their violent crime <laughs> problem no. especially in LA yeah <laughs> we tend- my new home <laughs> how I- yeah. go ahead that was one thing i was thinking about is that we seem to have so many rules about guns but yet we have such gun violence like it doesn't seem to be changing anything well you have to think about from a very basic level who obeys rules and who does not so the real flaw in the logic is whenever we have a violent crime incident of major proportions we crank out the law books and start talking about more laws not realizing that laws affect people who obey laws not people who don't obey laws, which would be the problem in the population. There's a, a social media cartoon I saw recently, not a cartoon, but it was a picture of a bunch of sheep in a valley, and there was a sign on top of the hill that had a red line through it uh, with a picture of a wolf, and it said, no wolves allowed. And then underneath it, it said, yes, it really is that stupid. <laughs> what do you think about that? Hmm, basically saying, like, because the sheep themselves are not worried about... We want to protect the sheep, so we don't want wolves. So we have a sign that says, no wolves allowed. Now, are the wolves going to pay attention to the sign? No. No, they're just going to go get the sheep. So when you put a sign up that says, no guns allowed, 
well, all the people who are law-abiding won't carry a gun there because they don't want to get in trouble. And then they're the ones that are defenseless to yeah. gun violence. It's interesting for sure. Hey, what are your thoughts, Jenna? Mine? You grow, you basically been kind of brought up on like protecting yourself. Like, you know how to defend yourself from a close encounter with a gun. I'm not great. I'm <laughs> pretty sure because I'm a little rusty that I am a huge target. Just... I have no, you know, I'm not sharp right now on my skills. Your dad's concerned right now. (laughs) I know he is. I'm not sharp on my skills. Um, A lot of the skills that you practice, you need to practice them all the time if you want to be sharp with them. it's like fight or flight. Your brain should, like, turn it over and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, I know what to do even when I'm scared. So, um, but as far as just guns in general, um, I have a unique situation, which is that I am from a gun family, but, you know, socially I'm probably the most liberal I can think of on almost every single issue that's ever been presented to me. But my dad always says uh, that if he had abundance of time and money and could do whatever he wanted, he would spend his life convincing liberal people that guns, they should be pro-gun. Interesting, yeah. So, I I don't know. I respect, uh, I respect hearing different beliefs and everything, and I think that Civilians should have the right to carry guns, especially since, you know, World War II. One of the first things that Nazi Germany did was disarm the civilians so that they had no choice but to participate in mass genocide with the government. And so that concerns me. But I Mm, am also very deeply concerned about mass shootings with assault rifles and weapons. Lately, uh, we've been talking a lot about also mental health, uh, expanding to mandatory mental health background checks for purchasers of firearms. And one of the interesting things I'd like to just throw out there on that topic is if anyone remembers the Fort Hood shooting, um, the person that did the shooting at Fort Hood killed 17 people uh, and would have killed more if a passing police car hadn't uh, seen him and took him out. Um, He was actually the psychiatrist for the base that was in charge of doing mental health evaluations. So you see, it's not simply mental health backgrounds will solve the problem or more criminal background checks will solve the problem. I think the problem goes way deeper than that. It's a societal problem and people need to start respecting each other and learning not to be violent. Um, I believe there actually should be classes mandatory in public schools as well in human interaction and how to de-escalate situations and and how to not allow your emotions and your pride and your anger to dictate your behavior such that you end up in all kinds of trouble that will affect you for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. I mean, we could really use that with our students in particular. Like, right. Just thinking about how many times I've had a conversation with a kid where I'm like, why do you care what they're saying to you? It's because like a like, pride. But thing. it is pride, but it's also I have things. So I don't care. You can swear at me. You can say, you're not mm. shit. Okay, cool. I'm still going to go home, go out to sushi with my friends, and like live my middle-class life. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that much, and then someone starts talking to you, and no one has taught you conflict management skills, all you're going to do is rise to that occasion and be like, no, you're not shit, and fight. You know. I guess that's what happened is like my instinct was to yell at this woman and be frustrated, but then she actually seemed very concerned that we didn't. Mm-hmm. Like they all, like the four people there did turn away and got on their phones and like looked away from us as we were walking out with our dogs and our bags and mm-hmm. not responding and not, you know, escalating it. 
So I think it's actually a little scarier when somebody doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's do weird. It. It's 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 out of instinct. It it's, take it's it's a it's a surprise. Yeah, even though that's kind of what yeah we've been taught, but I guess it's an education level. It's like if you've never been taught that. I've had two people generally in class when I present this idea about uh, not having to respond to you know words of conflict. Uh, they will say things like you know you can't be dissing me and my mama didn't raise me that way and if you bring it to me I'm giving it back because uh, I respect myself and there seems to be some confusion there about about respect. Because no one can mm-hmm. take your respect away from you if you already have it for yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you're, as as my daughter just said, if you are a little shaky and feeling self-respect and somebody challenges it, mm-hmm. that's definitely going to be a trigger for you to, mm-hmm. to want to engage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I... I'm not sure if we're done anymore. Do you have any more gun questions? No, I think like, I actually was ready to move yeah, into... Yeah, it's like, this is really, to me, because he's my dad, you know, this is really like such a small part of like the things that I think about when I think of you because like over the course of my life you've had so many jobs so many businesses so many hobbies so much yeah like you run in most of your own businesses you're kind of a self-made man well I've been I've been fortunate to be able to use the things that I enjoy doing uh, to to make a make a living so to speak um some of the I started out when I was like 12 was my first real kind of self-employment I had a friend his name was Kip Boney and uh, they had a ride-on lawnmower that wasn't working so well anymore and his dad offered to sell it to me for fifty dollars and it was called the snapping turtle and it was really (laughs) junk but it did run and it did cut grass and I bought it and that um, that got me going in the neighborhood with landscaping and then my first job official was with a landscaping company my boss name was Boise and we used to work together in in the suburbs and people with lots of property and my next job was a janitor in a school uh, every day after school and on the weekends uh, with a guy named Martin who was a a uh, religious Pentecostal fundamentalist and he finally got me to go to his church and that was rather interesting the speaking in tongues and all of that um, <laughs> out of there I got into the medical field kind of by accident my mom uh, had got a, a placement from an employment agency at Henry Ford Hospital and then she got me hired in there and I worked in the ER for 12 years um, uh, as EMT, which also brought me close to violent crime a mm. lot every day. Um, and that was very rewarding to help people in that field. Uh, then I became a supervisor of the IV team, and, and that was more medical. But then I wasn't really happy with that permanently. My mom was a psychiatric nurse. She wanted to start a foster care home for people who are mentally ill. Mm. So we bought a home, and actually we did that for 28 years. And we took care of primarily a population of all female uh, suffering from schizophrenia, uh, bipolar disorder, and clinical depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had six uh, residents, and that was a very rewarding and interesting experience as well. It was also really interesting for me as, like, a kid, because I would, like, kind of hang out there, and, like, I knew something was up with these these ladies. (laughs) Like, they were saying things, and I was kind of like... Like, they would sometimes be like, you're a boy, and I'm your mom. And I was sort of like, oh, dad? You know, like, um, but, um, but I think that that really kind of set me up for just being, I'm just really, really comfortable 
with mental illness. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm very, very comfortable um, discussing mental illness, talking about my own, like, struggles with anxiety. Um, I've been very close friends with people who are bipolar and are either up or down, um, schizophrenics. It seems to just be near me a lot, and I don't know if it's because of my childhood training at the Silver Tea Club, which was the name of my dad and my grandmother's business. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting to be there a lot because they were family. You know, we did all our major holidays with them and sometimes their families would come get them and sometimes they wouldn't. And um, so it was just interesting to grow up with like my nuclear family, but then we also had this other family that was a little bit different. You know, yeah, and you're so. a boy and I'm your mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. some different stuff. So. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. actually one of the first stories I think you remember. I remember you telling me, and I was always like, "What? Yeah. You grew up with? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting." Yeah, because when my mom went back to work, she like you know we go to t- my dad's work, and it was just a very interesting place yeah. at times. But it was fun, and it's a big house, and you know, there are friends in a lot of ways. Like we like draw or do puzzles or whatever. So, mm-hmm. but that's like what. I guess I can't even say the majority of my life, but for most of my life, I'd say so far that's what you were doing. Yes, that was. And then, um, sorry, I interrupted. Oh, that was pretty much a full time thing because mm-hmm. they lived with us, and so it was round the clock care. And a lot of times, problems happen in the night, and um, you know, so it, it's really full time. Foster care is a full time deal. Many people look at it as, oh, you you know, you get your money and you just have people living there. But you're responsible for all of their issues, their all health their and their mental and everything. Yeah. Social workers. Yeah. And everything. clinical psychiatrists and med reviews and have to document everything that they do and make sure they get everything they need. And it's very involved. You really have to be committed more than on a monetary way to do that. Yeah. It's not that much money either. Right. Right. <laughs> Actually, over the summer, my students and I, it was about 11th and 12th grade students, we did sort of a research project on mental health um, and how that's affecting kind of the way we um, prosecute and arrest people since, like, we can't always, we don't always distinguish, like, okay, like, you committed a crime um, because you're a violent person or because you actually have a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And there was sort of a debate about whether we should open more mental institutions um, because most mental health now is done through jails. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like you have to get arrested to get help. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I also had a background in, in the mental health field uh, before we had the home in that uh, from kind of a young age, I worked at a place uh, in Birmingham. It was called Hotline, and I worked the weekends as a crisis intervention phone counselor uh, on the midnight shift, which... Lots of people had lots of problems, and uh, one of the things they taught us in training was not to measure a person's problems based on your own belief system, but to kind of get in the gutter with them and feel it with them and get them out. And I do remember a lot of people were contemplating suicide over relationships ending. Uh, Sometimes it would be something as simple as um, a child's hamster dying, and they wanted to die. So that was a very good experience. Then I worked at um, an organization called Common Ground, which is walk-in counseling and phone counseling. Uh, And I also was a a support person for drug rehab and alcoholics, um, and that was very rewarding. So I had a really good background before foster care in sort of the mental health field. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. I only know about some of those jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have like, um, so after that though, then the club ended up closing because like my grandma couldn't really work there anymore. And then that's when you kind of branched out and started your next thing. Yes. Um, I kind of moved into the, the firearms and personal protection training, uh, more heavily. Um, I also had been a private detective for uh, Homestead Security in Dearborn, a lot of immigration and insurance fraud. And so I moved to get my own agency and I have some people that work for me in that field. Not real crazy about that field, even though it's interesting, but generally the people that you deal with in that field are in trouble and having a lot of problems. And the kind of trouble they're in is, is not something that's pleasant you know Mm. Um, and you also say with the private investigating cases a lot of times like it's pretty easy to get out of their situation if they would just like sort of stop whatever it is that they're trying to Mm. get out of it like you know there's lots of people who want someone followed or they want you know details on someone and it's like just let it go like, mm. unless it has to do with money, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a saying that drama doesn't en- just end up in your life. You either create it, you invite it, or you associate with people who bring it. And I think I said to uh, to you recently that I could probably put myself in the place of any client I have, and I would not be having any of the problems that they're having mm-hmm. um, simply mm-hmm. by, you know, acting appropriate and, and letting things go. You know, mm. so there's that. Mm. Um, my mom raised me, wanted me to be a minister, of course. So I had a lot of religious education, lots of it. Ugh, and so I actually, did I. <laughs> <Thanks a lot. laughs> no, that wasn't his doing. <laughs> yeah, and I actually was in a pre-ministerial program at Concordia of Ann Arbor, but I dropped out of that program because I I didn't agree with everything that that was you know to be learned and taught and. This is common in most religions. You have to buy the whole store, or uh, or you're you're out. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. I I have not found any religion yet that I would buy everything they teach. So, mm-hmm. I'm kind of more of a, you know I I hate to say this because some people call it a cop out, but spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, more of a Buddhist, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, you know, uh, be nice to people, don't cause trouble, <laughs> you know, don't be addicted to things of the human world, you know, that kind of thing, and um, so I I. I do do weddings. I've done funerals. I have not done a baptism yet, but I'm prepared to. <laughs> I don't. I have no interest in doing funerals. I think I'd probably be the worst person you could. Hire You're so empathetic. Like I just it's would too be sobbing. I can't. Yeah. I just can't even. You just weddings, put yourself in their position. Weddings, I'm good at. Mm. Well, I did one. You did one. <laughs> I did one, and I think I could do more. Yeah. Um, but how many weddings have you done, Dad? Lots. Lots and lots. I'd say... Can you ballpark it? I'd say at least probably a dozen a year for wow. many years. How how do people find you if they wanted you? Um, I do get referrals. I have been on... I do have a website, and I have been on some other sites that refer... Um, there's a couple that are real popular here. So I've never been on one where you pay for referrals, but if I did that, I could probably do a lot more. Mm-hmm. A interesting point about funerals, though. Um, the last one I did was at Resurrection. It was a friend of mine's wife's dad who died. And it was interesting because he had sort of caused the whole family a lot of grief in his life. So there wasn't a lot of... Uh, 
a lot of warmth towards him, but yet people were still very sad that he died. Mm -hmm. And it is a, a, a unique role to be in because everyone is breaking down around you and you're there to say things to, to bring them peace and to make them feel better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's not usually my step-in role, <laughs> you know? That's kind of yeah. like that Bill Burr joke where he's like... Uh, you don't want to die as the angry guy because then everyone's sort of standing around. They're like, ah, he always paid his bills on time. <laughs> That's you a know? good one. <laughs> that a good one? <laughs> yeah. Love that. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, though. I feel like you're um, maybe it's because you're giving me lots of Mark Cordis advice. But anytime I'm like breaking down around you, you're like, you know, there's nothing to it but just do it and stuff like that. Like you're always just like giving me solid life advice. Yeah, you're but like you're my not, dad says. You're not dead though. I mean, no, true. I was dead. If you were dead, yeah, I, was dead, I wouldn't be giving anyone advice. <laughs> if you were dead, we have a lot of follow-up. People questions. were like, "What should we do about Megan?" I'd be like, "Oh God." <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess that's not the same. But you are good at advice. Oh, I feel thanks. like that is. Learn from the best. Yeah, I do think so. So you've also had, uh, we haven't even begun to dip into your hobbies. So you were a drummer. Uh, you actually uh, were hired to go around with this band, but then you decided you wanted to like settle down and be with mom, and then you fly planes, and you coach my soccer team. Who are you? And, <laughs> and let's see, what else do I have? I, I know I can think of more. Um, you were like an amateur karate fighter, right? That happened. Um, what else were we doing? There's so many things. Yeah, the music thing was interesting for me because I was I was raised and forced to take piano lessons by my mother from like the age of five because she wanted to play an instrument and never could. And so I took classical piano for many years. But then when I got older, people wanted to be in bands and it was guitar, drums, keyboards somewhat. But So I kind of taught myself to play the drums by listening to music and mimicking the sounds. Didn't ever really take a lesson. but And I got into <laughs> bands and more bands. And, and I did get an opportunity. I thought that was my passion for life, you know, to to make my living playing and I got accepted into a band that played 50 weeks a year in different cities every week and they were very good and I auditioned they chose me wow. I had three days to decide and um, but at that time I had you know uh, I had established quite a settled uh, life here with a house and a dog and all that other stuff. And, and I started to give a hard think at what it would be like to be in a bar six nights a week and on the seventh night traveling to the next club to be in another mm. bar six nights a week. And I came to the this realization that I did have a passion for music, but probably not for that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. mm. So, how, how did you meet Jenna's mom? Uh, she worked in the lab at a hospital on the sixth floor of where I worked in the ER. And occasionally I would run specimens up there that needed to be done quickly. And um, I caught a glimpse of her from the specimen window, a side <laughs> profile, with her blonde Dutch boy haircut, <laughs> and uh, asked around. And uh, another guy that I knew who worked in the lab with her uh, actually set up a little dinner date, and he had dinner at his house. He lived next door to me, and he invited her, and I came over. And that's how we ah, got started sweet. many moons ago. I know you had like a great wedding story too. Jenna has told me how you guys got married like on the beach and Oh yeah, California. Cali right. beach. California, no guns. <laughs> yeah, no guns, just love, man. Yeah. <laughs> I really would have liked to move to San Diego to San Diego is my favorite. Is that where you guys got married? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the pretty. um uh 
you have to have a lot of money to live in Southern California and San Diego, though. Um, and I noticed when I was there, there didn't seem to be a lot of industry. It was all private businesses, a lot of Chinese restaurants. I do like Chinese food, so that might have worked. <laughs> Maybe that's your future. Maybe, hey. Yeah. Do you hey. have any like things that are still left? I mean, obviously, there's loads. Um, I don't know. At this at this point, I feel like I'm kind of settled. I, I probably will ride the ride this life out doing what I'm doing now. And uh, I don't see myself retiring, though, because I really like to do what I like to do. You know? well, my yeah. grandma's like that, too. Yes, yeah. she is. She is. It just kills her that she's not working right now. So yeah. she goes to the senior center, and she calls it work. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, Aww. she does. She likes to. She gets different projects started there because she hates not being busy. Mm-hmm. Like, she is crazy. Like, she is 90, and she'll my dad would like leave and come home and she'd be like climbing up a ladder because she just realized she wanted to dust like (laughs) she's just crazy so she's so like into cleaning and dedicated to keeping the house and now it's not as easy for her so he takes care of her full time now yeah Mm -hmm. so you're like her and i think and everyone disagrees with me that your son is like you what do you think of that well i i think there are some some comparisons both ways I think Jenna has extreme confidence. Uh, I believe she would get in the cockpit of a 757 and just push back and throttle forward and figure she'll figure out how to fly it, Um, which is, I mean, I I, I think you're very confident. And I think some people are very calculating. They don't do things or take risks or try new things until they've figured it out to the last detail so that all elements of failure are covered. Mm. And then they'll go ahead. And then other people in this world kind of just roll up their sleeves and dive into things and think, Mm. I'll figure it out, you know. Mm. So I think that... Uh, Jack is a, is more like his mom in that regard, and calculating, figuring things out ahead of time, uh, l- minimizing the risk factor. And I think that Jenna, from what I've seen in her life, uh, will will just you know hop on the horse and go. I like the mess of a good risk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of a good risk, yeah, you're taking it and moving in two weeks. I know, I'm moving in two weeks to LA. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's gonna be fine. I don't have money. I don't have a job. I barely have friends, but <laughs> what I do have, what I do have is this, uh, this confidence pretty much given to me by my parents because they never were like, can you just shut up for one <laughs> second? <laughs> so I think that's probably why Jack's a little more quiet. Cause I was always yeah, like, you didn't give me, 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 um, my favorite recent thing that I guess you said to her was about some of her jokes. Do you want to share that? Yeah, I do. Okay, so That's my dad's great. like the most positive person in the world, and I was trying out a new joke on him. And so, like, this is what he said to me. He said, okay, you might want to sandwich that joke between two really good jokes. <laughs> it's like the nicest way to say, like, that wasn't very funny. Yeah, it was. It was truly, like, the nicest way to be like, that one sucked. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited too about the the comedy, and uh, I really enjoy watching this progress. And I think that there's been tremendous progress made, and I think 
tremendous progress will continue to be made because I think Jenna has a, a real passion for comedy. I think I'm developing one too. I'm pretty familiar with all the known comics now, and of He's course, on a huge John Mulaney kick. Right oh now. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It enough. That's a good kick to be on. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. never a bad idea. I feel like we've been through a lot of things, but there are some stories that I just want you to tell. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Like I want you to tell about. Um, Will you tell about the time that you decided you were going to drive to Alaska from Detroit? Oh, sure. Yes. In a gremlin with just a hot plate and some cans of green beans. <laughs> so many follow-up <laughs> questions. Tell us everything. Okay. When was it? Um, it was uh, 1977, 8, I believe. And what happened was <clears throat> I was supposed to, I had this, they hadn't built a highway yet to Alaska. It was a dirt road, like 600 miles of dirt road from Dawson Creek, British, British Columbia. It was a pavement ended all the way to the Alaskan border. And it was really like a challenge because I had voiced this desire to people at work. And they were like, oh, you'll never make it, and especially in a 72 gremlin. Mm. So I had another friend who was kind of wild and I had roommated with from time to time. And he was supposed to go with me. And then right before I was to leave, he got a job. And he had been unemployed for seven months. So it wasn't really the time to turn the job down. No. <laughs> and but I still wanted to go because mainly because everybody told me I wouldn't make it. So that's why I like to do things too. Yeah, 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 it's a challenge. So I loaded up the gremlin with the canned goods, and unfortunately, I didn't have a tent. But my friend had a huge tent. It was like a twelve-man tent, Aww. but that was the only tent available. And to, so I stuffed that into the gremlin too. And when I got at the Canadian border. Um, they did, of course, search the car because it was jammed full of things, and I had long hair and all that. And they claimed that they found a marijuana seed, and so... Dad! Yeah, really. I had to go wait in front of the magistrate for five hours, and I had the little marijuana seed in an envelope. It actually wasn't a marijuana seed at all. Or was it like mustard seed? It was, I, it was like a gravel, I think. It was like literally <laughs> nothing. But uh, like your long hair. No, no. The magistrate was cool, though. He opened the envelope, looked at it, and he goes, you smoke marijuana? I go, no. And he goes, get out of here. <laughs> so uh, anyway, on the way to Alaska, the, I picked up a guy from the Canadian Army to help drive. And we drove 1,500 miles nonstop, just kept kept rolling, and ended up in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Oh, well, not him. That wasn't oh, John. Okay, okay. Uh, but the next uh, the next person I picked up was a guy named Jean, and he was from France, and he was over here doing a report on, uh, you know, the wonders of America and whatnot, like Niagara Falls and this and that. And so... Uh, he was he was uh, happy spirited but very annoying. For one thing, he wanted to stop and eat like every five minutes, and he always wanted to stop and take the picture. <laughs> and he also had no handle on social graces or what's right or wrong to do. For instance, he would want to just pitch our tent in the middle of a town in the you know in the median, you know. Supposed <laughs> <laughs> to be in the middle. Of yeah, the town. and he couldn't understand why that wasn't like acceptable. Anyway, um, yeah, and he drove like a maniac too, like a hundred miles an hour in a gremlin down a dirt road at night with the headlights blown out. You know, I'm like Jean, how do you see where you're going? He said, I look at the tops of the trees and put the car in the middle. <laughs> there like, you go. Oh man! And he actually did fly off the road in the Canadian Rockies at one point. Fortunately, we landed in a spot that was not completely over the ledge, but actually going around a curve too fast, and we skidded right off and dropped. And it, it was like very scary. But he said Americans they drive too slow. 
in France, we drive fast. <laughs> so, there you go. Anyway, I ditched him in a YMCA, though, because <laughs> I, I had to get rid of him. I just had to get rid of him. So we got a room at a Y, and then I strategically planted my stuff near the door. And as soon as he was asleep, I crept, and I grabbed my shit, and I left. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> and, um, and I got rid of Jean. Anyway, when I, when I got to the Alaskan border, though, I had a little trouble again about this whole marijuana thing. I guess they, there was a lot of people going to Alaska to get marijuana and bring it back. And the guys, once again, this big sign, welcome to Alaska. And the guys come over from customs. He's like, do you smoke marijuana? I'm like, oh, no, not this again. <laughs> so, but anyway, he was cool. I got into, into Alaska, and I took a picture of my... My 72 Grumman in front of the sign that said, Welcome to Alaska. Um, along the way, I had a black bear standing up on the hood. Um, I had deer coming right up to the car. You know, wow. the very, you know, moose in the middle of the road where I had to wait till it. It was very exciting because in the what's called the the Yukon in the Northwest Territory, uh, there's it's just wild. There's no, there was no people back then, and just mm. just animals. And sometimes I just for a whole day I wouldn't see anybody, and it's very interesting. But anyway, it was it was a real adventure. How long I, was that trip for? Um, it took me. Three weeks. Wow. Uh, the, you know, getting there That's was impressive. about a week. Coming back was about a week. And I was there about a week. Wow. Well, we've been talking, I thought, of some more um, hobbies. So you raised tilapia in your house? <laughs> I did. Ah! Wait, what? <laughs> Costa in Rican the... tilapia, <laughs> yeah. Until mom killed them? Yeah. Well, there was wow, a little Mary. accident with one of the big fish. <laughs> yeah, I took an environmental science class uh, from a guy. We had a... We had to do a, an environmental project, something that either preserved resources or created protein or whatever. And he had been to Costa Rica, and he had some Costa Rican tilapia, and so that was one project that was available. So I had progressively larger aquariums. I had what was called a fish room, and we went from 20-gallon to 50-gallon to 100-gallon. And as they would get bigger, they'd go to the biggest aquarium. And then there was a gentleman named Herman Mikey who had a a uh, greenhouse with a fish tank underneath it and when the fish got too big for the 100 gallon I would take them to Herman Mikey's and then they would grow bigger in the fish pond and eventually they'd be a source of protein and they're they were really not heard of around, you know, back then. But now you can go to the grocery store and buy tilapia all day long. Mm. So what happened? So I went to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I saw a Boratim soap commercial on TV. And the woman holding the box had a vision of Albuquerque in the background. I thought, boy, that looks sweet. I want to go there. So I went there and I left uh, my wife Mary in charge of the fish. Well, um, evidently two of the bigger ones got in some kind of a fight, and one of them died. And uh, she appealed to my next-door neighbor about what to do with the fish. She didn't know what was wrong with it, and he said... Mary, it's dead. <laughs> so <laughs> when I came home, I had to. Uh, she thought I was going to be very upset, but of course I'm not upset. No. Oh, I thought all of them were dead. No, oh, no, just okay. just that's one. Killed, well, that's less exciting to yeah. me now. But <laughs> sorry, I made you talk about that for so long. <laughs> Still <laughs> really unusual. Yeah, yeah. You also lived in the backyard um, for like two. Yeah. What, uh, what was that? Okay. Why? Are you in trouble? No. I <laughs> I read this book called The Miracle of Fasting uh, by a guy named Bragg, who in his 80s fasted for two weeks and then ran a marathon through Death Valley what? in 100-degree weather. And his theory was that we don't need to eat to get our energy. Our bodies already have a whole lot of energy stored that we can use. And when you eat constantly, you never get a chance to detoxify. So he recommended a you know one-day fast a week, three-day fast every month, and a, a week 
at least every year. So I decided I wanted to see what it would be like to be homeless, and this would be an opportunity because I had been fasting anyway, and I found out it's not that hard, really. You know, First day, not so bad. Second day, headache, a little sick. By the third day, you get kind of a euphoric feeling, almost like you're a little bit high or something, mm. and the world slows down and everything seems better. This so, actually sounds a lot like being on a juice cleanse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of are starving, except for you still what have you all the allowed, sugar. Are you still allowed to drink water and just water? Just water. Yeah. Now you know some, uh, like I know, Islam Muslims, they when they during Ramadan they fast, but they only fast till sundown, mm-hmm. and then but this is like just water. So um, it was winter, but I I did have a pup tent and I put it up in the backyard and I and I uh, lived in the pup tent for uh, two weeks and I I fasted for one week. And then the next week, I just ate and lived in the tent. But it, and, it, and I realized that <laughs> it really gave me a strong sense of security because I think uh, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. One of the things on there is is concern about you know our biological needs, our food, our shelter, our warmth, you know, security. And when you know that you can do that, um, you feel secure. Mm-hmm. You really do. It was an interesting. So you could survive with that. Yeah, a don't really need things. to be eaten all the time. And huh. I could probably stand to do a two week fast <laughs> right now. I'm talking stored energy. This is challenging. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't make it. I'm just saying I could probably stand to yeah. just try to enter the contest because <laughs> I. But you love these juice cleanses. You get like real high off of them. You're like, I, do. I feel amazing. But I'm, I'm glowing. still fat, so I don't know what happened there. You know. I, I think it's more of a, a mental. Yeah, it is. A, it's nice for the mental. Yeah, yeah. There were some more questions I was going to ask you. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you because we haven't asked him any Vegas questions. Oh yeah, you've been to Vegas three times, two times, oh, one way time. more. Yeah, because he had to come save me when I was crazy like twice, <laughs> and then also um, like came out for normal visits probably three or four times, yeah. and then had been there in like the seventies, eighties. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you that must have been fun. Um, he stayed at the Flamingo. He's still yes. into the Flamingo, and I try to tell him, like, it's not the best one, but he's still into it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that was, you know, I, a guy that I flew with, uh, he worked for Video Yazaki that makes parts for Saturn. Pause. When he says flew with, he means another guy who he flew planes with. Right. right. Oh. Unpause. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um... Anyway, a vendor one day gave him tickets to Vegas first class wow. and also MGM uh, Grand uh, room. And he called me at 5 in the afternoon and said, you want to go to Vegas tonight? And I said, sure. So we went. First class, by the way, is wonderful. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, we do not have that on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's no such thing. There's no hierarchy. Well, there's that extra space foot room. Right. Don't right. even tell me you're comparing the big seat. <laughs> Two first class. Right. How embarrassing. <laughs> right. So that was really, really fun. The first time to Vegas is like probably a kid going to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, the lights and the excitement and the 24 hours a day. Um, got into you know, a little little bit of gambling. My friend did a little bit more, and it was kind of a quiet trip home because he, he ended up not doing so well. Lost the nest oh. Yeah, but I did like the flamingo a lot. I don't know, the, the, the paint, it, the, just the bright colors. I don't know. It was, yeah. I really liked it. So going back there, though, years and years and years later, I, I would say that the same things appealed to me as did before. But the, my favorite thing to do in Vegas is to just, chill on Fremont Street and just look at people and talk to people and 
just be there just yeah. being there fun 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 <laughs> i like to watch people oh yeah. yes it's, it's the perfect. best people watching <laughs> it's fascinating people come from everywhere and they yeah mm-hmm. craziest most interesting people you'll ever meet we're there. Yeah. That's right. I mean, not to brag, but... <laughs> um, we, one of the questions we asked you before was, like, you've been in Royal Oak now how many years? Mm, since 1985. All right. So what kept you here? That's 30-something years? We, yeah. we mathematically counted that earlier. Well, the foster... 31. 31. I, yeah. I left my home in Detroit because it was basically too bad to stay in anymore, the neighborhood. But bought the foster care home in 85 and then bought the house that we live in here in 87. And um, I guess, you know, the foster care home, of course, kept me here because uh, I had to be there a lot, and then my other home was very close by. But Royal Oak is, I think, a really, really nice, small community to live in. They have the downtown restaurants and a little bit of uh, social nightlife and bike night and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, there's a lot of trees, trees everywhere. It's That's pretty. why they call it Royal Oak. Uh, some blocks, true. it's like going into the you know the enchanted forest because the, the trees just cover the entire block. Mm-hmm. It's so, pretty. A lot of green. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's nice. I really like it. Probably gonna probably gonna ride life out right here. Although I hate how you're saying that. It really sounds like you're just on the highway to death. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess we all are, really. Yeah, I guess at we... different stages. But um, so you're saying if we put some more trees in Vegas, we could win you over and bring you there. I don't wow. live there anymore. I know it doesn't matter. <laughs> Take, stop taking my dad. <laughs> right. Mark sees the bus. <laughs> I do like it. I really you do, do. Uh, a lot. Uh, I could even, you know, the heat, you know, is is a little getting used to. But I think I could do that. Because here it's a wet heat, it's humid, and you're really sweat bad more. at being hot. Then yeah, yeah, I don't like hot. Yeah. I do not like hot. No, <laughs> can't do it too long. You're really, yeah, that's yeah. like, yeah. I think Cal- Southern California is like perfect. Me too. You know, but man, he's throwing are. some hints there. So you're going to visit Jenna then? Well, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. going to have to have a little therapy before I go mm-hmm. to figure out how to be unarmed and marching but you're, around. But you're the Boompa, which the, is the uh, the, the grandfather. That's right. <laughs> you got to go visit your grandchild. I know. Little Moni. My Moni, my Malone. Who's asleep beside us, which yeah. is adorable. She's here co-hosting. Oh, She's always I don't know the co-host. How we're going to live with her gone. I know. Oh, man. She's the third child. Thank you. Oh, wait. You meant the dog. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think we just like everybody to stay. Okay. Yeah. Royal Oak is really pleasant. You haven't been here before, right? Nope. I've never been to Michigan. Wow. Yeah. This is my first. I told you it's great. Little right? adventure. What have you been thinking? I've loved it. It's very nicest people I've ever met. Really? And really, I do think. I know you've said it's a midwestern town, but I think I think it gets overshadowed by like people are afraid of like Detroit and you just I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it could be nicer than a place like Idaho or Iowa. But I think you guys are competing. What? Nicer than Iowa? Oh, okay, I've never been <laughs> Or <there>. Idaho? <laughs> yeah, you guys are pretty nice, though. Yeah. Way nicer than those oh, two Oh, oh, I see. I wasn't sure if you were like, we're never going to be nicer than them. No. Oh, nice. I thought you meant the quality of state. I was like, what? Oh, I meant friendly. In the hell? I took you to Ann Arbor today. Ann Arbor is gorgeous. <laughs> Real shout out to the... Friendliness. The Wolverines. Probably, probably people from Minnesota, North Dakota are the friendliest. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, what's funny is when I go to Las Vegas... I feel like the people there are the happiest, friendliest people in the world. Really? Whether getting coffee at the Super K or a washer at Lowe's 
or trying to find laundry detergent at Walmart. Everyone just seems friendly. And I, I wonder if it's the sun, like, you know, the whole sad mm. deal, you know? Yeah. You get more sunlight, you're naturally happier. Hey, hey. Because, uh, you we, know, we're a little bit overshadowed here by, you know, the anger, I suppose, of the, of the urban Detroit area and the crime and all that. We're going there tomorrow. It's fine now. Yeah. People are hanging out there a lot. Yeah. It's outdoor. We saw it. It's really quite nice. Yeah. But do you think that when you travel someplace other than where you live, that you naturally just feel like people are friendlier because you're happy? You're happier. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think that, that must be true because mm-hmm. I've never really thought of, although I love Las Vegas, I don't think that they're like overly friendly people. Nice. No. Isn't that something? Yeah, and you've said the exact I think I like the people a lot there, but I wouldn't say to strangers they're friendly. Yeah, you know, mm. maybe they can tell you're from out of town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know though. It's so Mark, maybe you're just so easy to get along with. People are just trustworthy of you. Yeah. Maybe they're like, maybe. oh yes, he's one of us. I, I do. well, he gets he really settles into Fremont Street. <laughs> yeah, right. So is that a good thing? All he would need is like a costume. <laughs> yeah, right there. I love Stevie Wonder. He loves the Stevie Wonder and the Rascal Scooter. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> he sits kind of like by the plaza, kind of by the mermaid. Wow, I love that you guys you know, know like their location. Well, we there for a long time and watched what <laughs> he was awesome. doing and there was also this guy playing the pan flute until I was like dad I can't listen to the pan flute <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's such a specific sound and I was just what like, a unique instrument yeah I, I can't do it I hate you don't the come sound by the it. pan flute much no you know I can listen about it two minutes of pan flute and go wow that's really nice and then I start feeling sick <laughs> I have some regrets oh, I forgot my dad also owned a, a mushroom farm in Florida where you're from what oh, in yeah. the world Naples Florida yeah. like Chita- a truffle farm what are we talking uh, shiitake mushrooms grown Ooh, in uh, I love that for the name shiitake mushrooms do you? yeah because yeah. there was like a joke in like a children's movie once it was like clearly a joke for adults but they're like shit talky mushrooms oh I always found nice. that very clever alright yeah, yeah he did that we yeah. had boats my dad actually wow. let me name our boat um, you guys have a boat? no we did we did what? it was the 90s Summer Spice <laughs> he, yeah he let me name the boat What's... Summer Spice because I was going through a spice <laughs> and then he actually oh, yeah. bought and put on it like these two English flag decals <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and also in Victoria Beckham got married. He was like the only one supporting me as I walked down the aisle to no one. Metaphor, foreshadowing, perhaps, <laughs> and uh, bought a cake for the event. So he's always very supportive of me being an asshole. This is your version of celebrating their wedding or pretending you were her? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did you miss the part where I am Posh Spice? Oh, this is incredible. I walked down the aisle, but to no one because I thought that was gross. And um, my dad was like, I guess we'll get a sheet cake. I mean, it's a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They, that's the truth about your family. Like, they support you 125%. Yeah, I've never said anything really, but they've been like, maybe don't. I mean, <laughs> no. I'm sure they feel that way. You so. sandwich that joke between two other jokes. <laughs> <laughs> the worst, the hardest right. criticism. Well, we are almost at an hour, and you do have to go take care of Grandma. Right. But we have a, a last question. Um, what is your? Sorry, I just touched your foot, Megan. What, what is your personal life philosophy? I think you've already gotten into it by naming. Um, you kind know. of like be kind and don't fight with anyone. Yeah, but just what's your personal philosophy on like life? How we should live it? Um, I believe that you should live it. Uh, if you live it for other people as well as yourself, and not just yourself that your own life will be better and in addition to that you'll have many wonderful relationships with other people there's a lot of joy in in supporting others i think and seeing them grow and seeing them do better um i think a lot of people feel like they have to 
blow out somebody else's candle to coin a phrase to make theirs burn brighter and really what we should all be doing is supporting the same candle that was nice. That was really mm-hmm. well done. <laughs> Man. Really good. So, um, but you said something that I was kind of like, oh, no, I'm not doing that, where you were like, um, care about other people or something. Supporting. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I care about other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Help. I was going to say something, but I forgot what it is. Because then <laughs> I, I, I saw a bug on the ceiling all of a sudden, and I was like, uh. Yeah, the words you just said were help. Like, yeah. I was like, no, that's a good philosophy. Um, you got any other ones? Um, I just like love your philosophies. I think yeah, it's like, really I just want, I didn't want that segment to end yet. So I'm just like, <laughs> I know. I was like, that more? ended right there. I know. It was a beautiful ending, but I'm like, what else should I do? Well, you know, I, I remember Dale Carnegie had a book called uh, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he said, if you are the type of person that will ask a stranger on the street how their dog is doing and what's his name, you'll never be in a psychiatrist's office because your thinking is outward. And it's inward thinking, thinking how the world affects you that causes people to have problems instead of how can I affect the world in a positive way. Hmm. Oh, I like that. Me too, and it def- definitely explains a couple of psychiatrist bills. <laughs> You're not talking about dogs. <laughs> I'm not out there asking people what's up. Yeah. Just thinking like, what's going to happen next? Am I going to have enough money? <laughs> um, start talk- a lot of dogs in L.A. No, that's dogs. good. I can start asking. Really? Dog parks, too? Dog, they're very dog-friendly. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I hope they're not violent, but you know how to handle it now. And well, I do, too. Well, I, I always do. You always did, yeah. true, yeah. You I always, always know. Rule number one. Summer spice, yeah. <laughs> rule number one, summer spice. No, rule number one, de-escalate. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great way to live your life. Um, Dad, if people wanted to take your class and learn more about gun safety and personal protection, where could they go? To find out more information, uh, my website is wildwestacademy.com. Um, that has probably too much information, but it certainly answers all the questions. And the other thing you can do is is call me or email me, wildwestacademy at aol.com or two four eight five zero six three four seven two. Open seven days a week. 24 hours a day. And he means that. My so schedule is your schedule. If you have another person you want to take a class with, uh, feel free to call and request a day. And most likely he will clear the schedule for you. So, like he did for us. He just like did he did for us at, at 11, 11 p.m. <laughs> when he's been working Rockstar, all day. So. <laughs> Truly the guest we have been looking forward to for For quite a long time, yeah. Since we started this. Birth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Bye.